chapter 1 that we've covered so far, verse 3 through verse 14, as you know, is one long sentence that Paul writes. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And I'm going to stop right there because that brings us to verse 8 where we're at today. Let me ask you a question. In those first few verses of Ephesians chapter 1, just 3 through 8, what are some of the blessings? Paul says, hey, blessed be God because He has blessed us. And he begins to describe What are some of the blessings that we have talked about so far that Paul says, this is how God has blessed us? Look through there. What are some of the things that God has done for us? This is a real question. It's not rhetorical. Every spiritual blessing, adoption, redemption, we're chosen. These are all things that God has done. With redemption, we have the what? Yes, forgiveness of our trespasses. So far in verses 1 through 8, what does it list off that we have done? You're all drawing, you're all shaking your heads to know. So far, it's. In fact, that brings us to this concept. There's two, there's two qualifiers in all this blessing that God is doing. There's two basic things that we can see already. Number one, it's always in Christ. Right? All these blessings are in Jesus Christ. Over and over, he keeps saying it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Even as He chose us in Him. Right? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. Right? Over and over again, he keeps coming back to this. In Christ alone, all these blessings, these are not blessings that are poured out to all humanity the same. These are blessings that are poured out to those who are in Jesus Christ. The second thing that Paul keeps saying over and over again that I just can't ignore is how often he keeps just coming back. All of this is because of or according to God's grace. Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor. That God has for us. There's not a person in this room that can say, Yes, I'm a Christian because I am better. I did this or I accomplished this. We, we can all say in unison, It's grace. It was according to God's grace just because God is good. In fact, it was according to His good pleasure, it says. We get down to verse 8. And Paul then says that this grace, he describes this grace in a little bit more detail in verse 8. He says, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. And the word lavished means filled up all the way to the top. Now, have you ever done that with a drink? You pour your drink up and it, it kind of gets that bubble over the top. You ever do that? And then what happens? You, one more drop falls in and what happens? 
Just all begins to pour over. That's what this word lavish means. In fact, uh, what I thought of, though, when I thought of this word lavish is what usually happens. Last week we had uh, the, the taco day, right, for our, our lunch. And I always do the same thing when I make my taco. Anybody else ever do this? You get your tortilla and you put some meat and then you put some cheese and then you put this. And you start off with a very reasonable taco, but by the time you get done, what's, what's usually happening? The, the, the tortilla can't contain it, can it? And you try to fold it up and stuff has fallen out all over the place. I mean, that's what this word means, lavished. Uh, over and abundant. You're like that tortilla. You can't contain the goodness of God's grace and how he's poured it upon you. God has lavished grace upon us in an extravagant way. This lavish grace of God. But then this next, the rest of this verse just kind of blew my mind a little bit. Because Paul says God has lavished this grace upon us. He's in an overabundance of grace. All these blessings. But then Paul says this. He says he's done this, right, in all wisdom and insight. Or wisdom and understanding. Now this kind of blows me away a little bit. Because when I start thinking about the grace of God, many times to me it doesn't make sense. But yet, he says this has been done according to God's wisdom and insight. Now, wisdom, this first word, wisdom, we're going to break this down a little bit so we can understand it. God's wisdom, and this word right here is the Greek word Sophia. Now, the Greeks, if you know anything at all about Greek history, they were very concerned with knowledge and understanding, and specifically Sophia, wisdom. Right? We even have this word still in our language today. We think of the word philosophy. Philosophy is the love of Wisdom, love is philos, right? Philo. And then we've got Sophia. And so we have this word is even around today. The Greeks wrote a lot about this idea of wisdom. Uh, Aristotle uh, described it this way. He said, uh, wisdom, he said, Sophia is the knowledge of the most precious things. That's what Aristotle... Now, I, I, I use Aristotle because this is the, the Greeks that used this language. This is how they defined this word back when they were around. So, Sophia, Aristotle says, is the knowledge of the most precious things. Cicero, another Greek philosopher, said uh, that, that Sophia is knowledge of things both human and divine. And so, you see this word wisdom. is the deep, right, big things here. William Barclay, uh, uh, he, he described it this way. He says, Sophia, wisdom is the answer to the eternal problems of life and death, of God and man, of eternity and time. That's what this word means. A long time ago, there was a guy named uh, Douglas Adam. He was a science fiction writer. Douglas Adams, who was not a Christian, he was an atheist, but Douglas Adam described in one of his books, he described this group of people who got together to discover, they wanted to know, what's the answer to the question? Of life, the universe, and everything. Right? And so they build this computer to answer the question. And they put it together, and it takes thousands of years. They get it going, thousands of years, generations come and go, and finally the computer says, I'm going to have the answer for you. And, and, and they're getting ready for it, and it's building up, and, and they, they're all there, they're ready to hear the answer to the question of life, the universe, and everything. What's the answer? And the computer goes... I don't know. And so then the computer says, but I do know how to build a computer that can answer the question. And so they said, okay. And so they have this second, this computer tells them how to build a second one. And this, this second computer is as big as a planet. And they, they get this thing built and, and it's, it's working. It says, I'm not going to do the answer for thousands of years. And so they say, okay, it's going to be on this date. Okay. And, and so the computer starts working and generations come and go. And, and they get to the end of the time. They're all ready to go. And the computer says, that the answer to the question of life and the universe and everything and they're all waiting. And the computer goes, it's 42. And they go, what? 
Now, that was Douglas Adams' way of saying this is ridiculous. You know, Steve Jobs, you guys know who he is, right? Just this last week passed away, Steve Jobs, behind uh, Apple, right? His answer to the question was this. He said, you know what? He says, the thing that you need to do is find what you love to do and do it. And that's what he did. God's answer to the question, this wisdom of God, the very wisdom of God, the answer to the deep things, the, the things that matter, the things, the deep answer to what's the, what's the answer to life and everything, what's it all about? God's answer to that question is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all in Him. Everything in history, from the creation and before that, God's divine plan was, was pointing towards, and everything you read through the Old Testament, it's all pointing towards Jesus. It was always about Him. And then Jesus comes and He's there, and, and then everything after Him looks back to what He did, and that's the answer. It's, it's all about Jesus. He's the answer to, to everything. God's answer to humanity and for humanity is Jesus Christ. It's found in this person. The gospel story is what it's all about. And so you have this, and, and God lays this out for it. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with just this wisdom that God has. Paul says that also he lavished this grace upon us, this gospel message. The good news of Jesus Christ has been lavished upon us. In wisdom, it's the answer to the deep things of life. But it's also, Paul says, insight. Or some versions say uh, understanding. Now this word is a different word. It's the Greek word phronesis. The Greeks also talked about this word a lot. Uh, I'll use Aristotle again. Aristotle described the second word. He said, this is the knowledge of human affairs and of the things in which planning right, is necessary. Planning is necessary. Uh, Plutarch, another Greek philosopher, he said, it's a practical knowledge of the things which concern us. Cicero described it as knowledge of the things which are to be sought and the things are which, that are which should be avoided. In other words, what things should you look for? What things should you keep away from? Right? This is phronesis. Plato said it's the disposition of the mind which enables us to judge what things are to be done and what things are not to be. What should I do? What should I not do? Right? It's about planning. It's about the, the, in fact, you might say it this way. It's the most practical thing in the world. It's the most practical understanding. And so you hear this, I mean, it's just an amazing sentence, or amazing portion of the sentence. Paul says, God has lavished this grace upon us in wisdom, the answer to the deep questions, but it's also been done in insight or understanding. It's practical as well. Right? And so here you have Jesus, who, or here you have God who is in Christ. He's planned this from the beginning, but just think about the, the plan, how it's been worked out. I mean, from the little things, how Jesus Christ was going to die and having the Romans in power at that time in that place. I mean, every detail of the gospel message has been perfectly played out through history without one problem along the way. God has made it clear to humanity. This is the gospel message. This is what I have. It doesn't just, it's not just the answer to the big question, but I've answered it in a way that it actually works in humanity. I've played it out and it works. And it's come to pass. And it's still there today. Now you put those two things together. God's wisdom, God's insight found in this one package. This, I mean, this just begins to paint this picture that this is a great, great salvation that God has for us. I hope that as you're watching in the movie, you begin to marvel at the amazingness of what God has done. It's, it's, it exceeds far beyond anything I could ever have imagined. 
John Gill, who is a theologian, I have a long quote here, I'm going to work my way through. He paints a great picture of this amazing wisdom of God, of this amazing practical knowledge of God. He puts it this way. He says, this may be understood, and he's specifically talking about this wisdom and insight of God from Ephesians 1.8. This may be understood of the display of divine wisdom in the work of redemption and salvation by Christ. And which is to be seen in pitching upon the proper person to be the mediator, uh, to become a sacrifice and, 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 and make intercession who is the Son of God, truly God and man, and so every way, and so in every way, able to perform the business of salvation. Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's, he's laying this out, I mean, the, the amazing plan of God that he's worked out every detail. And in the manner of it being affected, in a way wherein grace and mercy are highly exalted, and yet in no wise reproachful to the holiness of God, or injurious to His justice, but to the honor of them. I mean, this great salvation, this gospel message is able to be played out so that God can be absolutely full of grace and mercy, but at the same time, holy and a righteous judge. He doesn't have to sacrifice one thing or the other. In fact, instead, it it magnifies both. It magnifies how grace-filled God is in sending His own Son to pay the penalty for sin. And yet, at the same time, God stands as the just judge of the universe in no way no human judge could ever do that if, if, uh, a human judge would fall too far on the mercy side if he just let somebody off but human judge may fall too much on the, 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 the righteous just side and, and by not showing mercy but God was able in the person of Jesus Christ to be completely merciful and completely just at the same time that's amazing the great wisdom of God He goes on, he says, in which Satan is greatly mortified and sin is condemned, and yet the sinner is saved. In the justification of the ungodly without works by the righteousness of another, in pardoning their sins in a way of justice and faithfulness, and yet according to the riches of grace. I mean, God's wisdom, God's manifold wisdom has been played out in this gospel message in a way that just absolutely just blows my mind. I need to give you a few more quotes. Uh, let's take John Gill's quote and condense it down. I want to share a couple more with you. This next one says this, the gospel message in Jesus Christ. It's the death of Christ in the wisdom of God by which the love of God saves sinners from the wrath of God all the while upholding and demonstrating the righteousness of God in Christ. I love that. This next one is a guy named Jared Wilson. He tried to compact it down. He says, The greatest good, God, offers the greatest action, love, to the greatest need, wrath owed sinners. That's where we are born, right? Wrath owed. Wrath is, we deserve the wrath of God. By sending the greatest treasure, Jesus, in the greatest invitation, everyone into the greatest life everlasting. One last one. This guy, this is uh, Billy Graham's grandson, by the way. I, can, I can't say his last name. He, says, he puts it this way. The Bible is not a record of good people earning God's blessings, but bad people receiving God's blessings because Jesus earned them for us. 
that, that sentence itself, all by itself, paints such a di- different picture than what most people understand about Christianity. Christianity is not about good people getting God's blessings. Christianity is ultimately about people saying, I'm absolutely the worst sinner I know, and I'm depending entirely on God's grace found in the person of Jesus. I believe Jesus did everything for us. Right? That is the message that we need to present to other people when we talk to people. This is the message of the gospel. This is what we need to share. This is a great salvation. But I have to ask, when I consider these things, uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 1. Hebrews, the author just finished talking about how God has revealed this gospel message, this great story of who Jesus is. And he says this, he says, Therefore we must pay closer attention, right, to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We, us, the people have heard the message. We need to pay close attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away from it. I sit there and I hear that and I think, how could I drift away from this gospel message? How could I, how could I fall away from this gospel, this great good news of God that it's, it's, it's full of wisdom, the deep question, but it's also practical. It plays out in my life perfectly. How could I fall away from something? How could I drift away from something like that? But you have to understand that this wisdom from God is absolute foolishness to people. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians. If you want to turn there as well, I'm going to real quick... Scan through chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Kind of hits on this a little bit, and I just want to share a, a little bit of this with you. I'll read this. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. And he says this, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. He says, For the word of the cross, the word of the cross, he's talking about the, the, the gospel message, that Jesus Christ is the answer, that, that the answer to everything was, was God himself showing up and dying on a cross. Paul says the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks, Gentiles seek wisdom. Paul says, though, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness folly to Gentiles but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men the truth is this wisdom that is from God that Paul is talking about here and when he's talking about in Ephesians this wisdom from God is foolishness to the world It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. I mean, so much so, most of the people that I meet and I talk to and I I share things with, it it plays out a lot different. It makes more sense to them. It it should be, well, the the good people, they get to earn God's blessings. And the bad people don't. But God has turned it around. He said, it's, it's only those who have God's grace in their life through Jesus Christ 
There's none righteous anyway. Not one. And God has blessed, his, blessed us with this great wisdom. And I even think as I look out upon all of you, no offense necessary, but, or in, in, intended, but 1 Corinthians, keep going. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of Him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This great salvation was a salvation that Paul said, this is everything to me. It's, it's the wisdom from God. The gospel message is the wisdom from God for me. It's, it's my redemption. It's my sanctification. It's my justification. It's everything for me. A lot of us drift away from that in small ways. Some of us have drifted away from the gospel message because like that movie showed at the beginning, some of us have watered down the good news of the gospel to be simply a matter of acknowledgement. That all God has for us, just acknowledge it, nod your head, yes, I believe that happened, and we move on with our lives, and nothing changed. But the gospel message is a powerful gospel that changes people. And it handles the problem of sin in our lives. Some of us have watered down that gospel message because we've bought into the, the wisdom of the world and, and thought, hey, it's, it's, it's the good people. Some of us do that in small ways. One example I, I struggled with for years is I, when I was living right and I was doing the right things, I felt I could easily come to God and say, Lord, please, this thing here, and could you bless me with this? But, but then I would have a moment where I, I'd sinned and I'd fallen and, oh, and I, I didn't even feel like I could even come into God's presence. Like I felt like I had to work my way back up to that. Maybe I'll just try to pray a little bit today. Or maybe if I read my Bible a whole bunch in the next week, then by the end of the week I'll be able to pray to God. What did I do? I'd abandoned the gospel message. I don't have the right to come before God because I've been reading my Bible this week. Or because I've been praying enough already. Or because I, didn't ha- I hadn't sinned any big sins in the last week. Sure, I know the little ones, but God overlooks the... I- I'd abandoned the gospel message. The gospel message is different than that. The gospel message says you can come before God the Father because of Jesus Christ and Him alone and only depend on Him. And so, you, you, man, you could do the biggest sin in the world and you could turn right around and say, Lord, I'm, I, I'm so sorry. I'm back in your presence. I'm right here. And God's saying, well, it's not dependent on you anyway. It's dependent on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your, your righteousness, you don't have any righteousness of your own. All of your righteousness is Jesus Himself as a person given to you freely you've been declared righteous already and so I would drifted from the gospel in small ways like that and maybe, maybe you've done that as well sometimes I've, I've drift, drifted from the gospel maybe you have as well and if I am to be honest and, and to preach the truth in the right kind of way I have to say that there are many Christians that have drifted, drifted from the gospel message in this way you're you're driving through town, Danville. You look out your, your window, you see certain people. 
Maybe you've been forced, you've tried to avoid it, but you've been forced to drive down Fairchild Street. And in the depths of your heart, you look out the window, and without even realizing, maybe it shows up on your face. And you look down on the people around you. Maybe it's just a generational thing. You're driving along, you're minding your own business, kid pulls up next to you, he's playing music you hate. You look out your window, you look down. In a small way, you've abandoned the gospel. You are not here today because you are better than anybody else on this planet. In fact, your only hope is to recognize that you are one of the greatest sinners that you know. See, if you adopt the gospel message into how you drive through Danville, it will change how you see everybody. Instead of looking down, you'll think, Oh Lord, they might need you. Not just so they stop playing that annoying music, but because, Lord, they, they need you. In fact, Lord, I, I need you as much as they need you. I, I'm in as much desperate need of Jesus as this guy is in desperate need of Jesus. So you can't love the gospel and look down on anybody that exists on this planet that was created in the image of God. You can't love the gospel and do that. Those don't go together. The gospel message demands that everyone is someone that God loves and He died for. And what God wants you to do is to share the gospel message with them that it's not about being good and it's not about doing right, but God died for you. And He wants to love you and to adopt you into His family. And some of us have completely abandoned the gospel message in that way. Some of us abandon the gospel message in small ways. We're fine when we're out in public, but we get at home. And how you talk to your wife and how you talk to your husband or how you talk to your children or how you talk to your friends and your neighbors does not present the gospel Do you esteem everyone as better than yourself and lift them up as someone in need of the gospel as much as you? Do you recognize that you are not any better than they? The only goodness that you have is the goodness of Jesus Christ? That you in no way are any better off of a condition than they are apart from Jesus Christ? If you love the gospel, it will begin to change how you communicate with people. It will begin to change how you think about people. There are people maybe you've had a difficult time forgiving, but you don't know what they did. Do you know what God has forgiven you of? And do you know the precious cost that came with it? See, you can't be unforgiving and love the gospel. They can't go together. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says this, Put this up there. How shall we escape, it says, if we neglect so great a salvation? Now let me explain a little bit about this statement. The writer of Hebrews, right before this, he's kind of painting this picture. And if you study Hebrews out, you, you know this is, he's referring to something specific. Have you ever studied or, or heard stories of the Old Testament, the children of Israel? What would happen? They'd be going along, they'd be loving God, and then they would rebel against God. And what would happen? What would happen to them? Judgment? 
right? God's judgment would fall upon them. Over and over again, through this, the history of Israel, over and over again, you see this happening again and again and again. And the writer of Hebrews is referring back to that, and he says, he says now, now if, if they didn't escape, and, and it's interesting, because if you go through the Old Testament, over and over again, from, from the earliest times with Moses, all the way down to Jeremiah, when they're getting ready to be taken into captivity in Babylon, they, all of the, the, the people who would write and preach and prophesy would all keep referring to a, a common event. And for the longest time, I kept thinking, why that? Why that? But they kept referring back to when, when God freed them from, from Egypt and broke the bondage. And they kept saying, don't you remember what God did? All the way down to Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, don't you remember what God did? This great salvation that He brought when He brought you out of Egypt. Don't you remember what God did when He did those things? He kept reminding them, don't you remember the salvation of God? And so the writer of Hebrews says, if those people did not escape when they neglected the great salvation of God from Egypt, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall you escape? We can very clearly look back on the children of Israel and and, and say to ourselves, "Ah, clearly judgment was coming because they refused to... Sure, they had said, oh, I believe in God, I trust in God, but then they turn around and worship an idol. And it clearly, we say, oh, clearly, God's judge. How can we escape? If you go through life and you're neglecting the great gospel, the great salvation of Jesus Christ, how can you escape God's judgment if you neglect in your life such a great salvation? Let me ask you to fill in the blank here. If all of this is true, and it is, there's nothing else in your life that is worthy of your absolute devotion and dedication of mind and of heart. Everything about you dedicated, like Paul, to this one thing, the gospel message in Jesus Christ. It's, you could say it this way, it's better than, and let's fill in the blank, because I, I, I think that maybe all of us have maybe filled that blank in with something else. There's been things that have been great to us. And so we could say today, it's better than this. Let me get you started. And then I'd like to hear some from you as well. It's, this gospel message is greater than, it's more worthy of devotion than, than any element of my career. Right? It's better than... It's more important than retirement. Some people work their whole lives looking for, forward to retirement. They can't wait. They're just working for it, working for it, working for it. God, devoted so much to trying to get everything worked out for this retirement. Paul would not have done that. Paul said that this is the thing. What else could you fill in the blank with? I know I'm putting you on the spot. I'm making you think. What else could you say? It's, it's greater and it's more important than... What are the things that you've loved and you've devoted maybe your life to? It is. Does that mean family is not important? No. But in the words of Jesus Christ, what did He say? He said, unless you're willing to, to hate your father and mother and brother and sister. God, was Jesus condoning hate? No. But He's saying, compared to the love of God... So yes, 
The gospel message, this message, is more worthy of our devotion than even our family. Are you willing? What else? I can see you thinking. Reputation? Oh, that's good. See, you moved your hand. I thought you were raising your hand. I don't mind a little silence. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Freedom from problems. I hate problems. It's more important than that. The gospel message is more important than that. What else? I think, did you raise your hand this time? Ashley? Social life? How about health? It's more important than that. More important than life itself. It's more important than even living is this gospel message. Absolutely. I mean, play these things out in your life. So often we drift from the gospel message because we love this thing, we love this thing, and we're devoted to this thing, we're, we're dedicated to this thing. But the gospel message, if this, it, but it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense unless you believe it's true. In the eyes of the world, it looks ridiculous. And many of you have hesitated, like, yeah, I want to believe in God, but man, just to be a fanatic for it, to let it be my whole life, I can't do that. I, I love this, I love this, I love my free time, I love my weekends, I love... I love fishing. I love, you know, sports. It's, it's more important than playoffs. It's more important than what team is winning. It's more important than any game that you could ever play. It rises above all things. The gospel message. It stands far and above. The world does not understand that. They, they, they kind of head the right direction sometimes. Oh, don't live for your job. Live for your family. But you're not going far enough. There's more. There's this message that God Himself has worked out in history for us. How shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray specifically for one thing this morning. God, I ask that You would make Edgewood be a gospel-centered church. Lord, I know that all of us in this room, we... We, we love your gospel, Lord, but the world is always pulling us away from that, that, that love of your gospel. Father, I pray that you would stir up within us, that your spirit would be upon us in such a way this morning that that, that love of the gospel would be very present. Lord, help us to, to dedicate our lives to that. Whatever that might mean, Lord, let us be willing to say, I'll serve you, Father. I'll do whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll say whatever you want me to say. Father, my, my life is yours. I give it to you freely. Father, help this church to be a gospel-centered church. I pray that you'd be with each individual in this room right now, that they would be gospel-centered individuals. Lord, first of all, that they would believe this gospel for themselves and for their life and for their their own sake, God, I pray that you'd help everyone in this room to believe this gospel, that this is the answer. This is the wisdom from God and the insight from God that you have given to us, that Jesus Christ has come and he is the answer. Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, if 
we've, we've maybe we've believed that gospel, but we've drifted from it. Lord, help us to continue to preach that gospel to ourselves every day, every week, every moment. Lord, thus we drift away. I commit all things to you. I commit this church to you and our lives to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would do with us as you will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.